0: Welcome to week three of the original pyramid scheme. Uh, some of this is your first time. You're like, I knew it. I knew churches were a pyramid scheme and all that. You're like, ah, they got me. At some point in our life, we have been confronted or given the opportunity to be invited to some kind of pyramid scheme, right? And because they cannot be sometimes they don't hold weight, right? And so people have abused what God's design is, right? And so I think majority, sometimes we will reject something the way that God has designed us to operate because somebody has abused it. Somebody has used it for something for selfish gain and it put a bad taste in our mouth. And so we reject it, right? But I believe the pyramid, right, it's how God has designed us to operate as humans to build stronger, but it's different. See, they've reverse engineered, so they start at the top, and everything supports them. I believe, right, way God designed it is that you become the foundation for others, and you let others stand on your shoulders as we bring them closer to Christ. But some of you, you've, I'm sure... You have been, <laughs> some friend on Facebook or, or on Instagram or, or something like that has come to you and said, hey, you want to be a part of this? You can stay home and barely work and make all sorts of money, right? That just sounds good, but usually it doesn't hold up because they're taking something that God designed and reverse engineering, so it, so it never has legs. It doesn't continue uh, in our lives. Um, so because of that, we end up not trusting it. Uh, but everybody knows, and I was very tempted to do this Sunday. I was tempted to do it last Sunday, and thankfully, I, I didn't go through with the plan. But I was going to build a human pyramid, and I saved some of your backs uh, uh, from that. But if you've, if you've never been a part of a human pyramid, I highly recommend it. I don't care how old you are. Just try it. It's a lot of fun. But you know, right, and if you've done it before, it requires, the bottom, the base requires strong backs, strong, confident backs, Uh, Because if you get to the top of one, you can feel someone on the bottom flinch, right? Because everything wobbles, and your confidence begins to weaken in the strength of that pyramid. Even the person who's trying to hold you up, their confidence begins to weaken. And what happens? It all comes crumbling down, right? But so to have a good pyramid, you have to have a strong base. You have to have a strong base Uh, Thank you for not running out of the room that we're talking about pyramid schemes and pyramid. Hopefully that helps. Um, Actually, I'll give Tim credit for this. He made a fun joke. What? He walked out of the room. Uh, He said, next time we should do timeshares. We should do, (laughs) that should be the next collection. Uh, I don't know how I could work that, but we'll see. Um, So for church and the pyramid of building church, right, our original foundation was the apostles. Um, But unfortunately, nobody lives forever, I, I do wish that I could talk to Paul, I could talk to Peter, I could talk to Matthew, I, I, I wish I could talk to the original apostles because they were the eyewitnesses. They saw Jesus do all of these great things, right? And because of they were there and they talked about it, it carried on and we get to talk about it today. I am sure that they do not wish they were still living. <laughs> Nobody truly wants to live for, oh, thank you so much, honey. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Um, I'm sure that they don't want to live forever, right? As we do, I don't want to live forever, okay? This life is troubling. It has responsibilities, and someday I would love to experience it's all on God, right? I just, I'm in heaven, and it all kind of works, and he takes care of everything. But here, I have a time to be here. But when somebody leaves the foundation, it will crumble if somebody doesn't replace. And so that's where we come in. That's where new believers come in. We take up that responsibility to continue to be the foundation of the church so that when people come to Christ and they, and they make that choice, we're there to hold them up, let them stand on our shoulders to be able to say, I know it's, it's tricky. I know that sometimes it's confusing and, and faith is hard, but we're here to hold you up. We're here to lift you up. And so the hope is that we become the foundation. As people build on top of us, they get closer to God because of it. And then someday they become the foundation for somebody else. But what does that look like? How do we know we're successful in building our pyramid, right? The original pyramid scheme. This is what it looks like. It's leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And I pick my words wisely when I say that. I did not say just Christians, okay? A Christian, somebody calling themselves a Christian, is merely sometimes just a social tag. It's to say that you're a part of a group, right? Not that you're actually practicing, but if you had to choose one, right? Because sometimes we're forced to choose one. That's what I would choose. That that that's the less of the evils to me. It's a loose identity. We find a lot of politicians, uh, a lot of. People in the business world, they will add this tag, this identity to themselves in hopes that you're going to trust them. They'll say, well, oh, I'm a part of you. I'm with you. I'm a Christian too. But then you can watch their actions go, it doesn't line up because it's pretty clear in this book how a Christian should act and you're not doing that, right? So I don't even want to say I want you to be Christians. I want you to be followers of Christ. Yeah. That's what I'm after, that If you become a follower of Christ, I have succeeded, right? I get to be, not that I totally did it, but I get to be a part of what's happening, right? I get to be uh, a part of that success. So I don't want you to just be Christians. I want you to be followers of Christ, not just a, a bumper sticker, not just a content for your Instagram or your dating profile, you know, just to let them know how you stand on your politics or anything like that. No, no, no. Followers of Christ, so what does that model look like? How, how, do, we, how do we go about that? In Scripture, it, it's, it's laid out right here in Ephesians 4, 11, and then halfway through 12. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Sounds like a pyramid, right? build up. We're not here to build people below us to make us look better. We're here to build people up, to take them closer to God. So when it comes to modeling examples, he puts the positions out there. He says, this is what they are. These are the ones who are going to have a little extra pressure, right? A little extra responsibility. And it's a calling, uh, so I've had a calling in my life, and I could fill the position of pastor and teacher. I do both of those things, right? And so I have this calling to, regardless of my circumstances, follow Christ, to be the example. And it's an extra added weight. And in Scripture, it even talks about how I'm a little more responsible, right? If I come up here and I say things that just benefit me so, you could, uh, so I could fill the seats and feel good about myself, I'm going to have an extra debt to pay later, And so I'm not saying everybody has to be a pastor, or everybody has to be a prophet, Um, everybody has to be these things. No, no, I'm saying there are examples out there that we are to follow, and I'm supposed to be that. And sometimes I'm honest to a fault. I talk about my faults, and uh, some people are like, well, if this is my hope. When I talk about my faults, you are like, well, Bill can do it, so can I, right? (laughs) That is my hope, and that is very true. Guys, because When it comes down to this, one of the most common breakdowns of the kingdom, of growing the kingdom today, is this phrase, somebody else is better than me for it. I could argue a great argument that there is somebody out there that is more educated than me, better eloquent speaker than me that is more holy than me. There's some people I meet that are not in ministry and I'm like, how is it possible that I'm the one in charge and you're and you're not cuz you are way holier than I could ever be, right? I could argue that. And so, but still God called me. I am standing here fulfilling that calling. And it's not just because I willed it into existence. If it was up to me, I would have tanked this this uh Plan a long time ago, this church plan. I would have messed it all up. I would have have done something dumb, and I have done dumb things, right? And and it would have been over. But it's not just on me, right? So we end up in this thought process where we say, I'm not talented enough. I'm not good enough. I'm too broken. Um, I'm not educated enough. I'm not responsible enough. I've never been prepared to do that. And so then we go, surely there's somebody better that God has to do that, Surely there's someone more qualified to talk to my friends about Jesus. Surely there's somebody more qualified, better equipped to talk to my family about Jesus, to be that example. We end up disqualifying ourselves before we even get an opportunity to do it. That is one of the hugest things that I believe, as far as of what we can control, is stopping the kingdom from God from growing here, from growing in our this church in Houston and beyond, and I'm not talking about just at Village Heights, I'm talking about any church, but there is a statement that I have lived by, and I'm sure it existed way before me, uh, but in ministry, as I step forward and try to answer this calling, this has been my chant to myself, and it can also be yours if you like it. It is that God doesn't call the prepared, he prepares the called, yeah. meaning that you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the answers or anything like that. He will prepare you for that. Now, God is still preparing me, still working on me. There's still edges that need to be chiseled down on me. But it's been really cool to be a part of this journey because I said yes and see where God makes up where my weaknesses are. Where I fall short, He shines. And I've said it many times before. That's why every time before I preach, I pray to God, use me in spite of me. Don't let me get in the way of what you're trying to do, God. And he always comes through. So that's what that looked like. And that's the same for you. God doesn't call the prepared. He prepares the called. And a perfect example of this is we find in Acts 4.13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now we read this, and that's like, oh, just ordinary men, how nice. It's not a very nice scripture, okay? Let's, let's pull back a little more into the Greek, all right? So if you track back ordinary in the Greek, it's, it's, we find it way more offensive, Okay, so ordinary can actually be translated to, in the Greek, of idiotes. If you know Spanish, you kind of know where I'm going with this, okay? Idiotes, all right? So in Scripture, ordinary translates to idiotes, meaning an ignoramus. That's a fun word to say, ignoramus. Ignoramus, an ignorant or unlearned person, an idiot, So let's go back and reread this. Okay. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, idiot men. They were astonished as they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The idiots who had been with Jesus. it, It baffled them, right? What this tells us is it has less to do with the messenger and has more to do with who sent them. It's less to do with the messenger and more to do with the sender. Um, Every person in this room, I could argue, every person in this room, every person not in this room, every person listening to this or not listening to this out in the world is more qualified than the apostles. Now, hear me out. Before they found Jesus, before they had their interaction with Jesus and were educated by Jesus, you you are better off. I guarantee you, you are more educated, you know more about the human body, you know more about how nature works. There was things that happened to them that they thought was magic and miracles, that some of it was just science, it's just the way God built it and designed the world to work, but it was mesmerizing to them, right? And so for them, they were on a different level, you are on a much higher level, right? So you are more qualified initially to talk about Jesus than they were. And that's why they saw them as idiots. Now, I'm not calling you idiots. None of you in in these rooms are idiots. If they were the example idiot, you are way smarter than they were, okay? You are not idiots because I know how offensive they're going to leave church and go, you called me an idiot, I'm never coming back. No, that's not the case. Don't send me emails or anything like that, please. Um, But you are more qualified initially. However, as idiotic as they might have seemed, they became the foundation of the church. They became the foundation. We get to talk about it now because of them. Because of what they did. That Even though they were called idiots, they continued on. Because of them, we have church today. The unqualified, uneducated, not the first pick. And God used them regardless. Regardless. So, if they did it and exceeded... I know that you can. If they can do it, so can you. You can do it as well. And there's two distinct aspects that if you apply it to your life, I guarantee you, you will make an impact for the kingdom. You will. Money back guarantee. This is not a scheme. This is not a top down. This is a build up situation. The true way God designed us to operate and work with one another. So if you're taking notes, now is the time. All right, the first one, the first distinct aspect is that they gave their whole lives to him. They gave their whole lives to Jesus. What do you mean, Bill? All right, let me tell you a story. Um, Back before uh, he had all the apostles, he was still recruiting, right? He was in his recruiting process of finding these apostles, right? And so just at one moment, I'm sure it's not random to Jesus, but it was random to them. Jesus is walking along the beach, and he finds some fishermen, Right, and if you have ever fished, you know that cleaning up is probably the worst part of fishing. It's the worst. Not even if you don't catch anything, the cleaning up is still worse. Okay, because it's a lot. We're not fish. We are not really made to stay in the water. So have, trying to clean up and get it ready back for land is, is hard to do, right? Things deteriorate. There's salt water. It, uh, if you leave any kind of fish guts or anything in the boat, it, the boat's going to reek, right? So there's a cleanup is a whole process. And I remember it as, as I was a kid. So Jesus is walking up on him. Fishing time is over right? Because if you're a fisherman, you know, you get up in the morning, you know, that's where you, it's colder, they come up to the, surf, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so I don't, we don't have enough time to explain all of fishing to you. I'll do it to later. But um, the point is, is they were done. Fishing is over, right? And they hadn't really caught anything that day. So not only did they not catch anything, they are frustrated, and now they're dealing with the worst part, the cleanup. So here comes Jesus walking along, right? And he starts talking to them, And he's, you know, I can imagine the conversation being built up. Hey, what's the catch today, right? As like, he didn't know what it was. He knew the whole time. He's God. He knows everything, right? And he says, hey, I got an idea. I know that you're cleaning it or you put it away. Bring that net back out. Throw it to the other side of the boat. And rumors of Jesus had been getting around where they knew that there was this teacher. And so out of respect, I'm sure they go, okay, sure, You know, I'm sure they're grumbling to one another like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, right? But, but he's important. We don't, want him, we don't want to upset him, so let's do what he's saying, right? And so they, they do it. They take the net, they unravel it, whatever they got to do, they throw it out. They catch so much fish, so much fish. Not only was it hard to pull back into the boat, it was breaking their nets. I'm sure this is something they probably had never experienced before. And Their minds are racing of like, how is this possible? How did this guy know? How did he know where the fish are? We have been doing this our whole lives. We are the experts in fishing. Somehow this guy just walks up and tells us where they all are. Is it a trick? I mean, how did he do this? And they begin to understand that this is something bigger than us. The fact that he was able to do that is unhuman. There's something more to this guy. There's something more to who he is. And so here is the response when this happens. Come back to Jesus. And this is what said in Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He tells Jesus, I am not worthy to be in your presence. You are obviously something above and beyond than what I am. And I don't understand it, so. but I get that I shouldn't even be in your presence because you have a power and a connection to God that I, don't, I do not understand. So I am, I do not, I'm not allowed to be in your presence. It was so, such a powerful moment. And we continue on in Luke 5, 10, the middle of 10. It says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats on shore and left everything and followed him. And when it says they left everything, it means they left everything. What they experienced was so powerful and so life-changing, they knew something is up and I'm going to be a part of it. It would be the equivalent of you going to a truck driver at a truck stop and saying, hey, to tell you about Jesus, and Jesus does this really cool thing, and they leave the semi and the load all there and just walk off. It would be like if you went to a baker who had worked really hard to open their shop and have been doing it for years, a family-owned business, and then Jesus comes along and does something amazing, and they're like, man, that is so life-changing. I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to lock the door. I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to walk away and follow it would be the same as a coveted taco truck here in the Heights or whatever it wings or whatever a burger, you know, whatever it is. And have you ever met someone that runs a truck? They are passionate about that truck. It's a, they're trying to make something out of it. You know, they're trying to make, it's a it's lot of work goes into that. And you came along and, and Jesus did something powerful and they walked away from it. That has got to be something huge, something that is worth walking away from everything for. So that was the first aspect. They gave their whole lives to him. Not a couple hours on a Tuesday. They were like, hey, no, you go ahead. We'll catch up to you. You know, I'll give you, you know, I'll volunteer. You know, like, you know I'll, I'll give you something, right? No, 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 no. They said, I don't know exactly what just happened, but it's going to change the world yeah. and I'm going to be a part of it. Yeah. And they left everything. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is they became foundation, foundational. They became foundational. Um, the apostles were obeying, right? So Jesus, he came, he did his thing. Uh, he, he died, he rose again, he appeared. If, that, if the fish thing wasn't enough and all the other miracles, he does this, one, this extra big one where he dies for three days, comes back to life. And then if that wasn't enough, they, they, he appeared before the apostles, from a locked room. Like, it was a room with the door shut. If, if somebody appears in a room and they weren't there before, it gets your attention, right? It's freaky. So he appears before them and says, hey, it's me. And, and Thomas didn't believe and he showed him the holes in his hands. And that experience was so life-changing, so powerful. It motivated them to, regardless of the circumstances of what happened to them, they, the world needs to know about Jesus and from that they became the foundation of the church and they begin to spread out and talk and tell people about Jesus get the word out how are they supposed to know if nobody is being an eyewitness saying, I saw this happen and here's Jesus and this is what he is and all these things. You know, and, it, and it didn't really benefit them. And it was this weird thing. It was the other's first kingdom, right? It confused them. So they're going about their way doing this, trying to build the church. And at the time, this was a threat to Judaism. The Pharisees did not like it because it was a transition of power, mostly because Jesus didn't come and do what they thought Jesus was going to come and do. They thought Jesus was going to come and wipe them all out and become, have a kingdom here on earth and, and be pompous and, and everybody come to me and put the robes on Pharisees. He, he didn't do that though. And so he was a threat to them and their power. So what do you naturally do? Either they kill them or they lock them up. How do you shut them up? The people that are threatening you, right? So that's what they did. They found them, because they're everywhere; they're all preaching in the streets, trying to get the word out as fast as possible about Jesus. Spread it quick, so they gather them up, they lock them in a cage, they lock them in a cell. And this is when you've heard me say it before: God wants His church to be built more than you do. Here's evidence of that. That night, and this is what it says in Scripture: you can read it for yourself. That night, as they're locked up, an angel appeared before them, opened. Opened the, uh, the the cell, let them out, and told them, "Okay, go back out, go to the court, go to the town center, and start talking about Jesus again." Right? They they knew it needed to get out, and it needed to be heard by eyewitnesses who were human, right? So he sent them out. So the next morning, the Pharisees come back, and they're like, "They're going I don't know they're gonna flog them, kill them. I don't know what they're gonna do with them, chastise them, whatever." Uh, but they're not there anymore. And they're like, "Is this?" David Blaine? How how did they get out? How did they Houdini their way out of this cage? Are they magic? What's going on? And so then they hear the ruckus that they're back in the town center. It would have been more beneficial for them to leave and scurry away, but they stayed because they knew how important it was, the foundation of God. So they found them, and they're like, we don't even know how you did this, but we're going to gather you up again. And they take them, and they took them before the Sanhedrin, which was like kind of like a court system, you know, religious court system in their time, right? And they're talking about, what are we going to do with these people, right? They're obviously threatening what we have here. What are we going to do with them? They There's bouting heresy, something uh, against us, right? And so they're talking about killing them. They're talking about stoning them, all these things. And then one wise Pharisee, one wise Pharisee began to speak up and said, hey, let's take them outside for a second. And then he talks to the rest of them. And he begins to tell these stories, Says, hey, remember when this person was doing the same thing and they had followers, right? And they end up not being true, didn't have legs, couldn't walk anymore, that story. And so the followers killed them and they dismayed and they, and they they separated. And then he told another story of the same thing happening again. And then so he has this wise moment. I would imagine he was a little influenced by the happening of events or going, we don't know how they did this, and we might be messing with God. Okay? And so he tells another story, another story, right? And so then he says this to the rest of them in Acts. 38 through 39. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And I'm happy to tell you, it's lasted. Because of those apostles, because of those imperfect idiots, because of them, we get to experience God today in the way that we have church. We get to have the scriptures. They were the original foundation, they propped people up on their shoulders and built and built and built. And when someone died or left, somebody replaced, and they built, and they built, and they built. 2,000 years go by, and now you are a part of it. You get to stand on their shoulders because it was true. It is real. If it didn't have legs, it would have stopped walking a long time ago, but it does, and it works. It has not failed. So my question to you guys, knowing this, how does God want you to be foundational with others, for other believers at Village Heights or any other church? Even if you don't pick to stay here, be a part of this community, where and how are you going to be a part of the foundation? And I know what you're thinking. Doubt creeps in, and you begin to like, well, but not me. There's somebody better. Or maybe I'm mishearing or anything like that. Or what about my shortcomings? Or they saw me do this. Will, will they listen to me, right? You can because of Ephesians 3:20 20 through 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we will ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen you are part of that ever and ever it might be a lot of evers but you are one of them and i'm telling you it's not all on you it is not all on you god is not asking you to know everything about god it would be great if you did I don't even know everything about God. And you're like, well, that's part of your position. You should know. It's a big book. It's complicated, okay? There are times I read through it, and I'll read a scripture that I've read a thousand times, and it'll hit me between the eyes in a different way with a different rock. And I'm like, how? Because it's a living word based on a living God. And it will change how you feel about things. It will hit you in different ways because God has an actual real relationship with you. So, He's not asking you everything. He's not even asking you to take on the whole responsibility. Because one of the things that we do is like, well, what if I can't get them saved? I failed. It's not on you to convert people. Jesus does that. It's on you to just talk about them. None of the apostles were a part of really the conversion process. It was the decision of the person to follow Jesus. They were just the biggest megaphone of that time of spreading truth and what was real. And because of that, we have it today. He's only asking you to try. He's only asking you to be willing, to be willing to take your place in the foundation of what we're trying to build here. Because you might not know it. You might not feel like it. This might be your first day here. uh, This might be your first time at church. I, I don't know. Or you've been coming to church for a long time, and you can't really link it exactly. But I guarantee you, you are standing on somebody's shoulders. You might not even know who that person is, but somebody before you decided to be the foundation of the church. And so because of that, you get to stand on their shoulders. So all that I'm asking is for you to be the foundation for somebody else just like somebody was for you. That's what I'm asking. That's what God is asking. And if you don't know how, like, Bill, you made a convincing argument. I get it. I should try this, whatever. But I still don't know how. It's easy. Just ask God. Just ask Him. Say, God, I don't know. I, I'm not a... I don't feel called to be a pastor. I don't call called to be a teacher. I hope you're not called to be a prophet because they're not usually a favorite person scripturally and historically. Um, but, you know, all, all of those things, right? I, I don't feel... But just because you're not a pastor, just because all this doesn't mean you can't talk about Christ. That means that he has called you that where you are in your business, in your family, amongst your friends, amongst your neighbors, he is calling on you to talk about him to them, to be that foundation that they need, to lift them up and say, I know you don't fully understand. I don't fully understand, but I know it's real and I'm going to lift you up to him. That is what he's asking you to do. And when you pray about it, when you, you say, Lord, show me something, Buckle up and get ready. Listen and watch. Because like I said, he wants his church built more than you do. And if you are willing, he will find you a place to be the foundation of his church, whatever unique way that is. And no easier time than now. No easier time, because Easter's coming up. It's next Sunday. And even if you got the most hellacious friend who has talked all kinds of sorts of trash about Jesus and God and the church and all, all these things, that is the one day. Culturally, it, there's a pressure there that you can get them to church. And I guarantee you, Hannah and I are bringing it next Sunday. We are preparing something great. We are bringing truth, and we are not going to skip out on anything. We're bringing it, it's going to happen. No better opportunity than next Sunday. We make it easy possible. We got things you can hand out. We we have cool website and graphics and all this stuff to make it easier for you to do that. But ultimately, all he's asking you to do is try. Just be willing. So, will you do that with me? Let's make this Sunday the best Sunday that we could ever be here at Village Heights. Let's bring people to Christ. Let's share this gift that we've been given. Let's not not hoard it. Let's not be selfish with it. Let's build other people up and become their foundation as they enter into his church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we get to be a part of it. Jesus, it's not just that we're just here existing. We get to be a part of building your kingdom. But Lord, sometimes fear and doubt and insecurities can get in the way of that. Right now, Lord, we put those things aside and we focus on your kingdom because we're not the main character, Lord. You are. This is your creation. We are your creation. And so use us as a part of building your kingdom. Help us to find where we are in in the foundation, Lord, whether it be in our job or our family, wherever it may be. Help us to see where it is, where we fit in to build your church so that ultimately, Lord, your kingdom will flourish here. Lord, if there's anything that is holding us back, show it to us. Let us see it so that we can deal with it and focus more on you. Lord, if there's anybody in this room from this conversation, from this talk, that feels a calling to ministry. Lord, I, I pray that they would hear that calling, but not only will they not just hear it, but they will lean on you in support as they continue forward, because they're going to need it. So Lord, let your will be done in our hearts, at Village Heights, and for your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.